Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Go ahead. Hey, thanks, thanks, Ben. (laughs) And we're live. And go. (laughs) Hey, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. This is Matt Tebby. I'm one of the co-founders of Gravity Leadership. I'm here with my friend, church planter, and co- also co-founder, co-co-founder? Co-co-founder. Ben Sternke. Hello. And we are uh, here with our friend Brian Zond. Brian's a pastor at Word of Life Church in St. Louis, Missouri. We've talked with him. St. Joseph, St. Missouri. Joseph. Did I say St. Louis? You did. The other saint. Yeah, we're, we're sensitive to that <laughs> mistake that happens to us all the time, because we're just this podunk thing that gets overlooked. St. Jose, Missouri. Uh, no, St. Joseph, Missouri, sorry. And um, maybe I should stop introducing him, let him introduce himself. <laughs> Uh, welcome, Brian, to uh, back to the podcast. Thank you. Yep. Good to be with you. You, uh, you are doing these prayer schools. We've talked about those. You also are hosting uh, something this summer called the Water to Wine Gathering. Is am I getting that right? And yeah, and t- can you give yeah. us a brief description of of why you're hosting a Water to Wine Gathering and what it's about? Yeah, it's very simple. And in many ways, it's similar to why um, I do prayer schools. It came about in that same way. Uh, I wrote a book. Oh, when did I write it? I got it right here. 2016 is the copyright. Um, Water to Wine, Some of My Story. And it's, um, it's, I guess, I don't know what it is. Is it a theological memoir? Is it something like that? It's, it's the story of a pastor who goes through a very dramatic shift in his theology. I mean, it's my story. And I tell that story and kind of unpack what changed and make my case for it. And that book has been very well received. Um, it's in, you know, sometimes people think of me maybe as controversial. I don't know. I mean, because sometimes, you know, I, I, I challenge traditional assumptions, maybe about atonement theology or some other aspects. But but this book gets no critique. <laughs> I mean, nobody nobody dislikes it because it's a yeah. memoir. So, I mean, yeah. it's my story. So, it's what are you going to do? Argue with me about my story? It's my right. story. Uh, but it's the book that has generated, I think, probably by far the most uh, personal messages sent to me. You know, they'll come, they'll, they'll find me. You know, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to talk to me, you'll find me, and people find out how to get an email or a Facebook message or something to me, and I get them. I'm probably not exaggerating if I say probably every day. 
from pastors, I'm coming from pastors who who are on the verge, maybe right in the middle, maybe just starting their own theological shift, and they're terrified. They're afraid maybe they'll lose their faith, although that's usually not the case. They're usually more afraid of, can I continue to pastor this particular local congregation? What is the board going to say? What is my bishop, the supervisor, whatever hierarchy they have, perhaps in their denominator? What are they going to say? And they feel very alone, and they just want they want me to know that my book helped them, and then they'll ask me some questions. And so I respond to all these I can. And then, then a, a, quite a few people will come see me. I mean, they will, they will ask, can, can I come see you? I say, yeah, you can come see me. And, you know, they could come from anywhere. I mean, they might just be, you know, an hour away, but usually they're you know, from Dallas or yeah. wherever. You know, they're from anywhere. And, uh, and this has been going on for a couple of years now. Over, if I'm in town almost every week, I'm meeting someone that's come you know, a great effort to come see me. And I'm thinking, well, instead of meeting with these guys one at a time, what if I did something so that a bunch of people could come at the same time and they could also meet one another? Mm. And because, you know, in this age we live in, you can have really good friendships with people that are on, you know, the other side of the country. I mean, a couple of my best friends live in Denver and Abbotsford, British Columbia, and I communicate with them every day. Um, so maybe these, uh, maybe some people will meet, and they'll form friendships. Now, it's not this isn't a pastor's game. Anybody can come, but I, I do know that it'll be probably disproportionately represented by pastors and Christian leaders. Um, that, that's that's what it is. Is to kind of unpack that, talk about that, and I've invited some other people. I did, it, this wasn't like, okay, uh, I'm going to have a conference and what big speakers can I get? These are people that have actually gone through. Well, I just mentioned, without even being aware of it, I talked about my two good friends in Denver and Abbotsford. That's Joe Beach, pastor of Amazing Grace Church in Denver, and Brad Jerzak, Orthodox theologian in Abbotsford, British Columbia. And they were with me. I mean, we walked through this together. That's one of the great saving – and my wife. And my wife will be speaking. And um, so we're going to talk about – you know, what it looks like to take a church or just as a Christian, your own journey to to leave some of the certitudes that had been perhaps assumptions that had been given to you to, to begin to rethink some of those things. Now, now I feel like I'm just rambling. I, I do, think you know I what I'm you're talking say. about. Yeah, and it felt like Water the Wine was sort of your book of, of your journey in that, and you had definitive artifacts, like little guideposts that, uh, signified those shifts. And then it, it feels to me at least like your latest book, Centers in the Hands of a Loving God, is there are the particularities of the theology that maybe make up a lion's share of that shift. Would that be accurate? Yeah. Well, I can tell you where that book came, because I, I have the, you know, there was a there, were, there was a series of books that I didn't really intend as a trilogy, but they kind of worked together that way. Unconditional, a book on forgiveness. Beauty Will Save the World, which is yeah, understanding Christianity along with the good, the true. How about the beautiful? An aesthetic theology. And then A Farewell to Mars, which is my critique of complicity and war for Christians. Um, those three books then raised questions people would say, yeah, but what about 
Old Testament violence. Mm. And what about the fear of God and the wrath of God? Uh, what, what about the cross? Isn't that God employing violence to some redemptive end? Uh, what about hell? My goodness, what about that? What about hell? How beautiful is that? What about hell? <laughs> yeah. And then what about the book of Revelation? And even though I don't specifically say so anywhere in Sinners in the Hands of Loving God, it's really me addressing those questions. Wrath of God, fear of God, Old Testament violence. What about the cross? What about hell? Yeah. What about Revelation? Okay. That's what it really is. What aboutism? Yeah. It's everywhere. Yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. I... Uh, I think a lot of I think a lot of our listeners will resonate uh, with that. Um, a, a lot of the people that we're involved with uh, in our coaching uh, and who listen to this podcast, um, I do think they've become disenchanted in some ways with, uh, as you said, the certitudes that have been handed to us. These things that um, yeah. that we've been given that have that have said like this is absolutely true. This this is how things are. It's just how it is. And they've begun to ask some questions about that. They either have you know some of those deep theological questions that you mentioned. Or they just in, intuit this, that there, like, there's something off about this. This isn't working kind of for them uh, any anymore. It's not helping them become more like Jesus. Um, I, I, think, I think most readers that come to Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, most of them are sympathetic yeah. readers. And, and they have, they've reached probably a place where they, they want to believe that God is not ontologically angry, violent, and retributive. But they still have high regard for the scriptures, and so they have a. They're intuiting. Yeah, I, th- I think it might be true that God is not ontologically angry, violent, and retributive. But what about yeah. these texts? And so I'm really speaking to that person, showing them there is a way to treat the scriptures very seriously and very respectfully, but not. Uh, end up with some caricature of a chick track or or Jonathan Edwards sinners in the hands of an angry god which by the way um, this this is not a polemic against Jonathan Edwards sure. now I am I you know I hate I hate that particular sermon he wrote but hey I hate some of my right. own sermons you know sometimes sermons come it's not my fault though that that sermon became the most Influential sermon in right. American history. I don't think in, nothing has formed the American religious imagination more than that. Because uh, American, religiously, America is, America is a Puritan right. nation. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, atheists are Puritan <laughs> atheists. I mean, yeah, the God they don't believe in. I mean, the God they don't believe yes. in is the God of yes. Puritanism. And so that's in our DNA. And uh, Jonathan Edwards did a lot of things that are beautiful and wonderful. I think his, his essay on the Trinity is fabulous. I love that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is this, this sermon sort of just has lingered. It stayed in the milieu of American religious imagination, and it's representative of something that is a default mode for a lot of people. And I think it needs to finally be dismantled what and is dismissed. It, what, what is it about the American imagination that is th- that it appears that violence and retribution appeal so much to it. Well, we are a violent people. Now, I suppose, you know, most nations, I don't know. We, we are a nation of conquest. You know, the older European nations could become horribly violent, but they could account for their own existence without a violent narrative because the emergence of their own ethnicity or whatever just lost in the midst of yeah. history. 
Americans are a, this is a, a nation that has been achieved through conquest and violence. And then we have to, we have to try to redeem that with redemptive myth. And so, you know, what is more quintessentially American than the American cowboy? Dispensing justice by which we mean vengeance and retribution through his six shooter. And that, that is deep in the psyche of Americans and it's hallowed, it's revered and it's a lie and it's false and it's contrary to the way of Christ and it needs to be uh, deconstructed. Yeah. But it's hard. For, it, it's, it, as I travel the world, and I travel a lot now internationally because I can and I like to. That's when I do that. And, so there. Uh, but as I have conversations with, with thoughtful Christians in other lands, the two questions that always come up, and, and I can, they're the two that always come up. When they get comfortable with me and we're just sitting around talking, they'll go, well, what is it with, how come, how come you guys don't, your healthcare thing doesn't make any sense to me. That's the second thing, though. The, f- the most common, though, is you guys are pretty crazy about your guns, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> and, 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 you know, Australians and people in New Zealand and Portugal and France and Switzerland and wherever else, this is, they can't quite understand it. They're, they're not attacking me. They're, they're, they're actually begging for me to help them understand. Yeah. And I don't know that I've ever yeah. succeeded in helping anybody understand yeah. Uh, but it has to do with that, with our own uh, creation myth of how America came to be. Uh, violence is hallowed. So there. if you take away violence, and, so the way myths work is they're the, they're the way we make sense of the world. We make we we bring meaning and make sense of who we are and and how we how we are in relationships through, you know, the the noetic structure of myth. So. Uh, I was struck just, you know, you, 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 you deconstruct some notions of hell, you deconstruct some notions of, of violence, uh, you deconstruct some notions of uh, just a lot of things in the book, but what I was struck by is the people who read your book and decided to write about it online and disagreed with you focused on one aspect of your book. <laughs> you, know what, you know which aspect yeah. I'm going to say, right? Yeah. What, what yeah. is it? What... By the way, and it's it's not no, hell. it's not the hell chapter has been the chapter that people really have liked. <laughs> and my, my wife, who is cautious, she's she's more cautious than I am, and she's sort of my ballast, and she's also my she's a good editor. She's always my first editor, and when I when I write, the, I mean, I'll, if I spend a day writing because I don't tend to write in little bits of time. I'll, I'll have days of writing, and when I get to the end of my day of writing, the first thing I do is I take what I've written and Perry reads it back to me aloud offering suggestions, and we, we work on it for a couple of hours that way. And when I finally had finished that chapter six, Helen, how to get there, she said, eh, this chapter will not cause you any trouble. <laughs> and it hasn't. That's, it hasn't. Well, too bad your name's not Rob Bell, because then it would have. Uh, <laughs> no, my- well, so what was, just for the listeners who aren't maybe aware of it, like what, what one aspect are you talking about? What, uh, what gave him so much trouble? His love of Bob Dylan. People, people <laughs> cannot. Some people can't stand Bob Dylan, and they and let him like, know about it all the time. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, the one aspect is like you can you can go after you can go after sort of eternal conscious torment. You can go after all these other things, but if you if you go after my atonement theory, Brian, mm. if yeah. you take violence out of the Godhead, now now you're going to be called a heretic. 
I do get called a heretic, and I'm not. Yeah, but 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 you know that nothing arouses the ire. Well, okay, yeah. You know, if you push back yeah. against un- certain understandings of penal substitutionary atonement, uh, people lose their biscuits on you. Very. Yeah. Because it has become the gospel yeah. for a certain segment of evangelicals in America. By the way, it's this is also the subject that gets me the most invitation to seminaries. And which I like, you know, I mean, I get a lot of invitations to speak on atonement theology in seminaries these days. That's a good sign. Um, Seems like a good sign. <laughs> not, 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 not Calvin College yet, but, you know. <laughs> Just the heretical ones, right? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, okay, here's the thing. Um, it's penal substitutionary atonement theory. Right. There are numerous theories about how we understand the cross as salvific, as saving us, as redemptive. Uh, this is a, a theory. You know, I know some people are going to dispute this, but it comes into its present form through Calvin via Anselm. But it comes into its present form with Calvin. So even if it's true, I don't think it is, it's new. It's The church was well able for centuries millennia, actually, to understand the cross, or not understand the cross, talk about the cross, speak of the cross as saving, without having to resort to a penal substitutionary atonement theory. The Orthodox Church, you know, the whole Eastern side of Christianity, has never embraced it. I mean, and, and now, you know, somebody asked me the other day, is it true that the, the early church called PSA heresy? I said, no, they'd never heard of it. Right. I mean, it's not going to come about for right. about 1,500 right. years. Uh, now, the Orthodox Church is very aware of it, and they very, very deliberately, very self-consciously say, no, that is not how we speak of the cross. That's mm-hmm. not how we understand it. Uh, I think that it it has something to do. Anselm working from the feudal honor court code, and then it gets picked up by Calvin, who was a lawyer. I can pick on lawyers. I'm not, my dad was a judge, and my brother's a lawyer, and my cousins and uncles are lawyers. So some people were raised by wolves. I was raised by lawyers, so I saw. But but it, there is something about a lawyer who is going to see the cross well as primarily a way that we are rescued from punishment, but in the most ugly fashion, the idea that God has to satisfy justice by pouring his wrath out upon his son. Now, the moment you say, though, that God has to satisfy justice, it's like, oh, hold on. Right. You just said God has yeah. to do And who's this justice fellow? Yeah. Who's in charge here? You know, I, I, thought, I thought that this, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that Jesus called Father, Abba, was, you know, the top. But apparently, Lady Justice is hovering off on the wings somewhere, and that Jehovah is beholden to her, so that he would say, hey, "I'd like to forgive y'all, but I gotta." <laughs> but this <laughs> lady over here, you know how she gets. And she's gonna require, and she's gonna require blood. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much. I mean, you know, I've written on it, and we can yeah. go well, into it. Well, it's been it. very helpful. Maybe you should ask a specific. Yeah, question it's been very on. helpful. But, but here's here's the problem. Here here's the problem. If penal, if PSA, I usually, I usually don't like to call it PSA because that sounds too. I like to make, I like to say penal substitutionary atonement theory. <laughs> I did an academic debate where the the whole time, Andrew, I never would say PSA. I always said penal substitutionary atonement theory. 
this makes it sound so absurd, but uh, <laughs> if PSA is the gospel, I don't think it is, but if it is, well, then they never preach the gospel in the book of Acts. The gospel is the story of Jesus. It's not an atonement theory. Whatever atonement theories you have, that's not the the gospel is the story of Jesus and his becoming king. That's the gospel. So uh, and and heresy, you know, I don't that's a that's a heresy. Heresy. I mean, I've I've had plenty of I've had plenty of Orthodox theologians and priests and bishops tell me that PSA is heresy. I said, well, you know, I just don't care to play that game. But I mean, you can, you get both sides throwing this. Heresy traditionally, historically, has to do with a misunderstanding or misrepresentation of the nature of Christ. Okay, that's really where that term is most often applied and probably most accurately applied. When people call me a heretic, I usually just recite the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed and say, I'm and not then, a heretic. I just yeah. disagree with your atonement yeah. theory. But it is, yeah. So, so for whatever reason, Americans are very susceptible to the idea that justice must be satisfied through violent retribution. Mm-hmm. And I think that is projection of the worst kind. Yeah. Yeah. That it is not God who requires violent retribution as a form of justice. That's mm. we're the ones that. Have yeah, I think, and and that, that's why some of I think some of your writings and and others, of course, have been really helpful for me and for and for uh, a lot of the people that uh, listen to this podcast because they have they have these intuitions. Um, and it's helpful to hear some of those things to think, okay, that's right. It's not the gospel. I'm not a heretic if I have questions about this. Um, that that I can, you know. So theologically, it's been helpful for people. Um, a lot of the people uh, that listen uh, to us, and a lot of people that we coach, are are in pastoral ministry. Uh, they are vocational, you know, uh, ministers, or they lead in the church in some way. Um, what? Uh, what was it? I have two questions. What was it like for you as you made this theological transition, but then also had to interface with your church, who was presumably not going on the same theological journey at the same pace as you? Um, what was that journey like for you? And then, what advice would you give to to a pastor or a leader in a in a church who who feels like I can't talk about any of this stuff? Like, how do I? How do I? process that? How do I move forward in my leadership uh, if I'm having these questions, but I, like I'm worried about how my church is going to respond to me? Let me say this first of all. This is a minor point, but um, I never have had any pushback on specifically on PSA okay. in my own local church. First of all, I've never used the term penal substitutionary atonement theory in the pulpit. Yeah. <laughs> I've never, but, but what I have done is sort of give versions of that model and then shown why I think it's not compatible with the God revealed in Christ. And people are like, yeah, huh, yeah, that's good. yeah. <laughs> God. Uh, where I did get pushback was with eschatology because you know, the whole late great planet Earth left behind dispensational rapturism stuff is deeply ingrained in people. Hmm. And that's hard. That's That was a hard hmm. pullback. And it happens to be the one area when people say, when people say in an accusatory voice, 
you've changed your theology. You've changed. Uh, I would always say, I changed. Let's say, let's let's say I nuanced. I I matured. I adapted, with one exception. When it comes to eschatology, I just have to say, yeah, <laughs> got I me. And I changed it because it was yeah. wrong. And my only defense, if, if I need to defend myself, sometimes this is a, it does. This is but a if I need point. to defend myself, I'll just say, <laughs> but yeah. I didn't invent dispensationalism. <laughs> I inherited it. It took me a while to figure out that it's wrong. But, you know, let's just say thank God for Anti yeah, Ryan. Yeah, yes. <laughs> who, who, who has, you know, done a lot to help us, but I don't think he's done. He'll, I can't see him doing any more than he's done. His biggest contribution is to rescue the American church from terrible eschatology if it wants to be yes. rescued. If you're just determined to hold on to that, that ugly version, then yeah, I, I don't know what mm-hmm. I can do for you. Probably the book at one point anyway. I don't know if it's true today. Maybe um, the book I've recommended the most to pastors, uh, other than my <laughs> own, <laughs> is N.T. Wright's uh, "Surprised yes. by Hope." I don't know that it's. Tom Wright doesn't probably know how to write at a truly pew level, at a layman level. He thinks he does, but it's like, no, you, you're, you're like living in St. Andrews and Am- right. Cambridge and freaking <laughs> Oxford, you know. Uh, these are not the people yeah. that I bastard. And uh, so we need I, – I remember – I just heard just yesterday. I remember reading that book whenever it came out, 2011 maybe. I don't know when it was. Nine. I don't know. And I, I, I don't think I've ever done this where I just, okay, I'm just going to make a sermon series out of this book. And I, and I, I remember I called it Hope, Heaven, and Resurrection. And, man, people loved that. Some didn't love it. Some didn't love it. But most, those that loved it really loved it. And someone just told me yesterday, uh, you know, they were a college student at that time, and they said, let's save Christianity wow. for me. I mean, I was on a trajectory. I was react. I was just done with all this ugly eschatology, and I was going to move. I I know I was fated to just leave Christianity, and I came to your church and heard that series, and it saved Christianity for me. Yeah. So. So. Uh, so. So, how to take a church? Well, you take a church through it slowly. Sunday morning is not a time to be confrontational. Um, sometimes you just present, say, you, you, you don't always have to state the other side. You don't always have to bash the opposition. You just begin to preach something mm. better. There's, there's almost a kind of, I don't mean to be disingenuous, but there's a time that you can kind of play dumb where you can, as a pastor, sort of like pretend that you don't know the other yeah. arguments and you just, you preach something new and fresh and life giving and, don't don't people have if people are going to make significant theological transitions they have to connect the dots hmm. themselves you can't just bully them into it yeah you can't tell them okay you were believing all this and that's just stupid so quit that and straighten them now believe this that won't work so you draw the dots pretty close mm-hmm. but you still ha- let them connect and i found there's three things some people never connect the dots okay some people connect the dots and go, oh, is that what you're saying? Pfft, I'm out of here. But other people connect the dots and go, oh, that's beautiful. 
and they stay on the journey. And um, but I but it is an art. You have to be patient. I, I in some time I sometimes I feel like you know maybe did I move too fast and then I look back and say it took me ten years. Wow. It took me ten years. Now I was in I I was in the advantageous advantageous position of being a pastor who could at least attempt that. In other words, being the founding pastor of a non-denominational church, which I, by the way, don't even believe in. <laughs> but here you are. Yeah. yeah. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm playing the cards yeah. that were dealt me, you know. Um, it did afford me the opportunity to attempt right. it because yes. I wasn't going to be fired. I wasn't going to be fired by a board or a, an elder or a bishop or a hierarchy. Now, I could be left. You know, there was always that fear that everybody would leave and I'd be left with the mortgage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was, you know, a very real fear. Uh, but, but at least I could yes. attempt it. And so, I, so, and not every pastor is in that position. You know, the moment, you know, did you hear Pastor Bob doesn't believe in the rapture? You know, that could be, you know, six weeks from being yeah. terminated. Yep. I, I like, I like, I just want to reflect back what I heard because I think this is encouraging. You proclaim good news. You let people move at their own pace, and and I just right. hear like patience, like yeah. it's slow and difficult to transition like the theological uh, frame framing and focus of a church. I mean, I often tell people yeah. who are trying to disciple people locally, it, you know, it took Jesus three years, and his success rate wasn't all that great. Like he called twelve, one fell right. away, uh, four guys we never hear from again, uh, and there's and there's <laughs> you know a bunch of people that are doubting on a mountain when he commissions them. So so yeah. uh, and you know if if Brian Zahn takes ten years to transition his church, like maybe maybe you can't do this in a summon summer sermon series, right? Like, you know. You cannot, and don't try, and don't think that that's going to happen. Don't set that as a goal. Just yeah. don't. And you don't have to preach every. I, I I warn pastors: don't preach on the cutting edge of your own personal theological mm. discoveries. Can you say more about that? Yeah, say more about. Well, keep two things separate. There is there is your pastoral preaching life. Okay, that's this life. And then there is the life where you're reading whatever. You're reading Carl Barter. You're reading something from, you know, somebody, you know, edgy and heterodox, like John, what's his name? John Dominique Croson, who, you know, but don't, but don't, don't, you know, start reading Croson and Borg and then say, you know, start preaching that. Right. A week later. Yeah. uh, Keep those two things Mm. separate and preach from something that is that you've worked into your own life over a period of time and you're confident you can speak from that. So, so there, so there's what I'm reading. And, and I say that because early on around 2006, I was making that mistake. Mm. And that's something I regret that I was using my pulpit for my own theological experimentation. I was thinking out loud in the mm. pulpit. I was working my theology out in the pulpit. Yeah, working Don't out your that. life. Work out in your life, and then you probably also need a, a cadre yeah. of theological mm-hmm. buttons that are safe, that, that, that aren't going to, you know, drop an H bomb on you and call you a heretic, and that are well read and that are, you know, with you and bounce things off. Because you, you probably do need an outlet. Right. And if you don't have an outlet, you'll, be, you'll make your pulpit the outlet, and it shouldn't be that. So you need some. There'll probably be other pastors, but they could be, you know, really well-read laymen, but probably more likely they're going to be pastors. Hmm. 
that you get together with every Thursday morning for breakfast and discuss the latest, you know, power wasp yeah. or whatever. That's really helpful. Really, really helpful. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm reminded of uh, advice. I may have even said it on this podcast before, but advice that Dallas Willard gave uh, at a conference that I was at. Somebody was asking a similar question, you know, like, because Dallas Willard had this vision of the kingdom of God, you know, like the gospel is the proclamation mm-hmm. of the kingdom of God, the, the availability of the kingdom. Dallas Willard was my gateway. Yeah, mine too, mine too. <laughs> too. It, like, it was, and, and he gave this advice. He said, I think the parable of the soils was given to Christian ministers um, because he said the thing, the thing to do is to get up in your pulpit and to proclaim the availability of the kingdom. That, that, and that's what you do. And then he said, some people will, you know, there's different soils. Some people will look at you and say, you know, I think that's wrong, and I'm a little bit concerned about you. And he says, that's okay, you take that with patience. Some people will just fall asleep like they normally do during your sermons. And he said, but other people will say, I knew it. I knew there had to be more. And he said, gather those yeah. people into groups and work with them. I <laughs> uh, mean, he had a way of saying things. Well, Brian, thanks for being with us today. I, I just got to tell you, just personally, as a pastor, I have I can think of three friends who have either called me or texted me in tears of joy reading your book, reading mm-hmm. "Sinners in the Hands mm-hmm. of a Loving God," that uh, that it's just fed, it's just given them permission, it's given them permission to move forward in their faith in a way that that felt dangerous or scary or wrong to them. So, thank you for the pastoring you're doing yes. through your books. Thank you for uh, telling me and that. I, I mean, this is Todd. And it's uh, Ignacio, mm-hmm. and it's uh, Andy. Like they just they benefit so greatly from what you're doing. So thank you for your work. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Uh, and we'll see you at prayer school and water to wine. I'm looking forward to seeing you. Uh, yeah, next month. Sounds good. Thanks, Brian. So we talked about this water to wine gathering a little bit with Brian on this episode. This is a gathering in St. Joseph, Missouri, at Brian's church, uh, and we get. All the time, people who come into Gravity Leadership seem to be kind of on the same journey that Brian has narrated, this journey out of an Americanized, um, uh, I don't know, gosh. Weaponized? Yeah, I just, mean, this, a, just we did. We've done several blah. podcast episodes about what it is this transition is about. But you, like, All of our axioms are about this. Yeah, like, so if you, you, know I mean? if, you, if you really connect with our axioms, if they're spe- we've heard from people that you're like, shouting in your car as you're listening yes like if that's you these axioms are meant to describe and name this shift anyway this is a gathering uh, june 28th through 30th you can go to water to wine gathering.com you can also look in the show notes yep there's a link there ben and i are trying to figure out a way to go we're trying to figure it out uh if anybody wants to contribute to our fund we can sell plasma <laughs> i mean there's got to be a way anyway we're hoping to go we hope that you're able to make it but it'll be a good time to sort of look at other people in the face in the eyes who are on the same journey you are to once again hear from the lord and other people i'm not crazy yeah. god is at work right god is love right yeah. and uh there's no unloveliness in him at all mm. and uh and just just worship and be with other people and, and oh, be with yeah. other people on this journey too. So we hope you can join us at that. Yeah. And we, we, we hope we can join you as well. Yeah. Yeah. And if you come, we should have a glass of wine. Yeah. If you partake in such. Right. I mean, the, the name of the gathering is water to wine. Yeah. So, so maybe some of you can have water. I'll be having wine. Yes. Hope to see you there. <laughs> Bye guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you found it helpful, please let us know by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you review podcasts. 
You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com to ask a question or suggest a topic for a future episode. And join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful in our work as local pastors and practitioners of discipleship and mission. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.